poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on CPG is a former professional poker player who is the founder of StoryTracks, a dynamic storytelling platform that showcases authentic and real experiences, as well as Rapid Response Ukraine, a humanitarian organization that delivers urgent medical supplies directly to the health department in Kharkiv, Ukraine. Some folks talk about action, other folks act. Fergal Nealon acts. In the wake of the devastating war in Ukraine, Fergal created Rapid Response Ukraine and has thus far raised over $120,000, with the poker world contributing a healthy percentage of that total. And in today's show, you're going to learn all about what RRU is doing, and where those funds are invested, as well as hear an insane story about hand-delivering said medical supplies at the Ukrainian border. But before we dive deeply into Rapid Response Ukraine, you're also going to learn about how Fergal fell into the world of poker, why he moved on to running story tracks, and a genuinely heartbreaking story about his most painful poker session of all time. If you'd like to donate to Rapid Response Ukraine, there will be a link you can click through in this episode's description, as well as the show page on ChasingPokerGreatness.com. And if you are a person of influence that feels compelled to join the cause of Rapid Response Ukraine, you can shoot me an email, brad at ChasingPokerGreatness.com, and I will forward you right along to Fergal, and he can let you know where to help out. So now, without any further ado, I bring to you a former poker professional and natural-born storyteller, Fergal Nealon. Fergal, welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness, sir. How you doing? Great. Thanks for having me, Brad. It's my pleasure. Shout out to Dara for making this connection. Uh, typical way that we start out the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. Tell me about your journey through the world of poker. How, how old are you? And you know, w- what does your story look like? Yeah, I'm, I'm 43 years of age now. Um, I, I started playing... It was back, I think it was in my late 20s. Um, I had to move back home. So I, I was in Dublin pursuing a career in film and television industry. And both my parents were, were unwell. And I was um, the only sibling still still in the country. So I moved back home to essentially become a, a full-time carer for, for my folks. And, um, and, and during that time, it was like evening times. Once they were, were put down to bed, I had had all this time free and I was... I was single, and, um, and despite being Irish, I, I didn't want to go out drinking every night of the week. What? So, I mean, can they, yeah, can, yeah, shock horror. Yeah, can, can they that. take away your citizenship for such a statement? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we can edit this out if you need to. No, no very proud of that. Um, no, but, like, I kind of wanted to do something. I, I figured, look, I'm not just going to be nursing my folks. You know, I was still, still young. I was still sort of hungry for... Um, for challenges in life and um and a friend at, at that time introduced me to the game of, of of texas hold'em and 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 took it from there brad it was um 
I think it was party originally. I was I, I was playing like sort of free rolls, and I remember playing these like one or three dollar rebuy things. What year was really this? Low. Oh, I'd say it was like I'd say it was around oh eight or so. Okay. Um, it was sort of the last few years of the the really good times. Um, I got on board. So yeah, I think. I think at one point uh, I started doing well in these like sort of really micro things. And, and, and I bought a couple of books. I bought the Harrington on Hold'em was the first one. And then I, there was a Phil Gordon's green book and a blue book. And, um, and, and once I read these, I could, I could sort of just crush these, these sort of micros and win in my, my local hometown casino. Um, and then I discovered um, satellites and um, that's where I would have got to know that the likes of Dar is when I discovered that I could actually win a tournament, which would essentially give me a pass out of having to mind my folks for, you know, four days or something. And I could get up to Dublin or go over to the UK, Europe. And I said, hold on, I can even get to Las Vegas here and, and get away from home for two weeks like. And I was all over it then, you know, so I just I just went all in and I was um, I was on the forums and, and, and on video sites. Poker X Factor, that was the one I was on back then. That was the first one um, I signed up for. And yeah, so satellites were my thing then. So it was just about grinding these and then just taking the, the T dollars or, or whatever. So I remember I think it was the first year I got um. I won one into the main event in, in Las Vegas and um, very early. It was my first year playing or something. And uh, it was a 14 grand package at the time. You could, uh, but you could take the money. You remember the, something legally, they couldn't buy you straight into a tournament in America. So they could give you the money and then they were trying to incentivize us to play by saying, look, if you come over, we'll give you X, Y, and Z if you actually play it. Um, so the first one I said, gee, I wouldn't have had two grand to my name. And uh, I said, 14 grand, I just, I'm just going to keep the money, you know. And then I think with the 14, with the first grand out of the 14 or whatever, I managed to win another package. So then I said, you right, go. you have to go. Yeah, you have to go. So then I ended up playing in in, um, in the first main event I played. It was maybe, it was, um, oh, no, I tell you, it was, it was the year after Eastgate won, whenever that was, because he was at my buddy's table. Um, I think maybe Joe Cata won it or someone like that. Um, it was around 09 or 10 or something like that. What was that experience um, like having, you know, going from like 2K to winning a satellite, pocketing the 14, winning another one, and then you're there playing in the most prestigious poker tournament in the world? Yeah, it was amazing. I was like uh, Charlie in a chocolate factory, to be honest, you know, just looking around at all these guys I'd, I'd seen on telly and, you know, I'd watched all the all the late night pokers and, and and all the old runs of WSOP. Even seeing Norman Jad, you know, this is the buzz, you know. Um, and yeah, it was phenomenal. Uh, and met some great people and, and played the side events and just yeah, I'm literally while I'm talking, I, I goosebumps thinking about back to those times. Um, the I remember um, actually it was a funny one. The my day one. I had this guy, he was directly to my left. He, he, he's called David Oppenheim. Do you know David Oppenheim? I do, a, yes. Yeah, he was a full tilt, like, pro, and he was, and he's a cash game beast. But anyway, he was well directly known. To, well known as, like, one of the, the best mixed game players that has ever lived at the wow. very highest stakes, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. Like, he showed up anyway. He showed up two hours late. It was his empty seat. 
And I, I was worried about who's just going to stroll in two hours late. Like, you know, who's that cool to do this? Like, when I was like there, like half an hour early, like chomping at the bit. And he came in and he got something like, a, I don't know, it was a ridiculous, like five hour massage he was getting or something. <laughs> and he was just like, he was so cool. Like, he's right beside me. And we were involved in one part where I had like, I had pocket eights anyway. And I don't know what the board was, but pocket eights might have been like, it might have been a 10 eye board or something. Like, he got me to fold on the river anyway. And, um, I did this like, oh, I'll show you if you show me, David, you know, and then uh, he just turned around and he's these mad piercing blue eyes, like really black blue eyes. And he just looks right, looks me dead in the eye like and he's going, uh, you don't have to show me you pocket it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit, what am I going to do against this guy? What am I going to do? So I, <laughs> I went down and I'd, uh, I had an Aussie guy who was railing me. I'd, I'd met him there during the week. And he was like sort of a bit of a, he was a chess, former chess, uh, top chess guy. And uh, and he was giving me, like, he was my sports psychologist on the rail. I says, what, what am I going to do against this Oppenheim guy? And he says, right, he's going to mince you up at these, like, day one of, like, a 30 kid stack or whatever it was back then. Um, so just make the pots really big because that's not what he's going to want to mess with. So I think I ended up four betting, like, just the next time, like a eight, nine or something. And then, um, and then and then he flatted me he had position and then all of a sudden like i just had a pot, somehow had like a pot size bet behind um and i just i just hit a middle pair or something it was ridiculous i just shoved it all in i just didn't know i just freaked panicked shoved it all in and i just remember sweating and looking that's 10 grand in the middle that's ten thousand dollars <laughs> in the middle of that table like and uh and, and then he folded and I just went over and I was over to high five my buddy, the Aussie guy. And he's like, don't bloody celebrate, mate. Don't. This is a marathon. It's not a bloody sprint. Relax. <laughs> so, uh, You're seven minutes into the main event. <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, once, uh, but once I got that out of the way, I just couldn't stop shoving it all in. And I think I, I ended up in, no one wanted to play a part with me. So I ended up in, I was definitely in the top 10 after day two. Wow. And, um, and I ended up on the, on the bubble, I went from like a quarter of a million to like a million just because like there was one other guy. It's definitely back in the days where it was just clicking, clicking, clicking. And uh, and there was one guy who wanted to be that guy that was going to crush the bubble. And uh, again, I didn't have two grand to my name. And like I just and I was covered by this guy and I put everything in um, and showed the seven deuce off. And then the whole table, like it was ridiculous, like it was silly stuff. But the whole table, no, every time I breathed on a pot, they just like melted and folded away. And I had really, I obviously had a good table draw to allow me to do that. And I went up to over a million chips, and um, I just got cooler down at the end of the day, and got cooler out of it. Yeah. But uh, it was just amazing, amazing. So, somebody called you with the with the eight deuce, and we we lost all our chips. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, what a cooler. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. But, yeah, I loved it. Look, it was it was it was phenomenal. Great, great times. And I went I ended up going back for um I think it was seven or eight years running then. Wow, that is quite yeah. quite the run. Um yeah, must have yeah. been quite the good experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the one that stands out the most in your memory? Yeah, that that first one in particular was was great. Um, I, I had another run in the main a couple of years later, so I cashed it twice. But it was always sort of, I think it was two eighty and three forty at like you know nothing really, um, 
not nothing major, but you know, I went out swinging both times. Like I wasn't creeping into two forty or three eighty or that. Um, other years, sort of like that year, I think it was interesting because like I didn't know about swapping or selling or anything like that. You know, so it was just seat of the pants sort of stuff. And then it was only when I came back home that um, and I got involved with the there was poker stars at a great UK IPT circuit, obviously EPT circuit, and started meeting the same other Irish and UK pros and then started finding out about the game and how to actually survive as a professional for so many years. And that obviously involved, you know, um, if you were running so well, selling whatever you had to sell or, or making the right swaps and all that sort of stuff. Like, so, so yeah, no, the world series is sort of the first, but then coming back home, it was, um, it, it was that sort of circuit, um, UK IPTs, your Irish open, your EPTs, and then just um, just grinding it out on on um, stars mainly back then. And I'm going to take a little detour here, but you mentioned that you were working in the entertainment industry uh, pre poker when you moved in with your parents. Um, could you talk about working, you know, in, in the entertainment industry? What led you to there? And um, knowing uh, what I know that you know your startup is called story tracks right um yeah i just have to imagine that these two are related in some way so any any more details about being involved in the entertainment industry why you felt compelled to go down that career path and then um yeah where that took you yeah it was um i think certainly storytelling was something that that, that I always I always liked whether it was visual storytelling or or, or the great Irish tradition of of oral storytelling, um yeah it was something my father was very into he was he was involved in the media himself, and um, so I was just naturally drawn to it, um so it was film and television I was working at in 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 Dublin at the time, but obviously when I came back home um there was just nothing happening you, you had to be. You know, you, you had to be in Dublin. That's that's where everything was been made. So so there was nothing happening back home. So it was something actually the first time I I, I revisited it through poker was um was through Dara and, and David's own podcast. I hope you don't mind me mentioning it here, the guys in the in the chip no, race. No, yeah. we don't we don't yeah. talk about the chip race is basically <laughs> Voldemort on this podcast. Okay, right. They're baddies. <laughs> they had a piece anyway where they were doing it their thing with with well-known poker players and I said listen guys can we not we should try and focus on the grassroots like the the ordinary recreational players because there's so many good characters there so I went out and in the first series I think it was I think it was this first series we um I sort of captured some of the characters of the Irish game and um and I think it was around that time I was sort of looking at at, at moving back out of moving away from poker and looking at something different it kind of kind of felt it had run its course so um so yeah, so so then we we went in and did a, a course in software systems and entrepreneurship, and um, and through that 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 led us to what became Story Tracks, the the startup. And it was it's about capturing local stories and pinning them to locations, um, and then reselling it to to tourism uh, tourism operators. Yeah. So so yeah, it's, it's about capturing the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, not just a a famous person voiceover or not just historical uh, facts about a place about real stories real people absolutely and that's you know personally the stuff that i 
love and that's very near and dear to my heart because you know we all have stories right like just yeah. every human being that lives a life has memories they have stories to tell um and to me it's quite sad that some of these stories kind of disappear and then they're just lost forever yeah um, so that's a yeah that's it's really great um idea for a startup and really i think very noble work um capturing these stories uh, because it, it is quite important um and you mentioned you know poker had run its course uh, how long were you in the poker space i i guess how long did it take for poker to run its course and what was the yeah what was the catalyst there yeah i was um like the i think it was the first few years were just exciting and I, and to be honest i just had nothing better to be doing straight up you know and and then i was enjoying it i was enjoying the strategy i was enjoying the gameplay and then I was making money out of it. Um, so, you know, it just, it just sort of had everything at that time. And then also, I, I absolutely love the people you'd meet um, on tour. Just, just the sort of mavericks that are attracted to the game. You know, there, there, there's always, as you, we were just talking about characters and stories, and you just, one poker table is just full of them. Just millions and millions of stories waiting to be unhatched. And I, and I really enjoyed that about the game. Um, I think... I think the first few years, I certainly had probably the, the last of the great online years, and, and I managed to um, just hit some good scores out of those those first few years. That that um, that obviously probably everyone gets this if if it happens to them. But you just think, okay, I've only started and I've hit all these good scores. Then next year it's going to double, and the year after that it'll triple, and and all that sort of stuff. But but it didn't, you know. Obviously, Black Friday hit, and and the, and the game got much much tougher. Um, and then, then I settled down a bit and had um had a baby girl, and I think that was the real catalyst. That was when, um, sort of you you know for the first time I started thinking about uh, job security and things like that, real life stuff. So yeah, that was really the catalyst. I tried it for about six months with my wee girl, and it just just wasn't working, wasn't conducive to family life. So I was like, right, okay, let's let's get out of something. So you started a startup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I tell you what, Brad, and this is this is the truth. The startup is way more of a gamble than both yeah, I know. That's, uh, yeah, exactly. Way more. Um, but yeah, it's um it kind of made sense. Like honestly, I think like that there's so many crossovers from from the world of poker that that work with startup world. So many crossovers. And even though I was like, at this stage, I was 38 and coming from the poker background, I didn't really feel it wasn't going to be easy for me to go back and sort of like hustle with the the, the young interns straight out of college that were young and hungry. And, you know, I hadn't worked for anyone for like, you know, over 10 years. Like, so like the, the, the startup sort of made a lot more sense to me, like that I could still be my own boss like I was in the poker world um and then just you know just just hustle in another way in a, in a sort of business networking way and and um and yeah so, so so that was good like we got um we got we we, we did really well there a couple of years and then it, it's a travel tech startup so and um, covid just just knocked the stuffing out of us you know nobody was traveling and um the timing was pretty unfortunate because we were sort of early revenue generation phase um so sort of unfortunate and actually fortunate off as well because we hadn't taken on investment that was sort of would be would have been a real you know hanging over our head during covid so 
so we, we've survived um, and now we're looking at, at, at pushing on now again so hopefully um, if there's any wealthy investors there to want to get in the next big thing in travel then, then hit me up <laughs> yeah the uh, man the travel industry in COVID it's like just you know black swan event right it's similar to Black Friday and poker just devastating yeah 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 um, you, yeah. you mentioned a, a lot of lessons and overlap in poker and startup. What, what would you say, uh, maybe the most valuable lessons that you learned from poker that you've applied to your startup? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's always that one about, you know, not being results orientated. As we used to say in poker, you know, did you make the right move? Was it the right play? Is it, is it plus EV in the long term? All those type of things, because, because with the startup, you're, you're, you're constantly like like COVID, for example. Do you know what I mean? It's it has just variance. That's just another swinger around about. Do you know what I mean? And and you know, you've no control over over market forces, just like you've no control over, you know, what the dealer throws out on that flop turning river. Like so so yeah, that that is certainly the biggest one. Just keep making the right moves and 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 your time will come. Yeah. And, and I mean it that can be a lot of times easier said than done, you know, with the pressures of life and responsibility. Um, poker is a great teacher in that way of just find a good decision, make a good decision, one foot in front of the other, make another good decision, do the best that you can try to learn based on what you learned. If you make a misstep and just keep progressing forward because otherwise, you know, th th there is no other alternative, right? Especially, when you get whacked as you did through COVID, I guess the alternative is just like give up, you know, but I will assume you're not much of a quitter. No, 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 no. Well, like you get to a point where it's like, gosh, I'm gone beyond the point to return here. You know, we, we got to get something out of this. And it's like that thing as well, about you know, not being afraid to, to fail at something, taking on something new, like, you know, and that was it with cards with something new and, you know, um, and and it's the same with the startup like so. And and I do believe it. I see I see guys I know from the circuit for years that that they're just if you can survive in poker in certainly certainly in these times, um, then guys out there you can do anything. Like you really can. You know, the business world, all that sort of stuff is 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 a lot easier. Like so, you can see that guys grinding away for you. Yeah, you put that much effort into something and what the equivalent is in America, but you know, you could have like, you know, hard degrees and PhDs, or you could be working in NASA, or, you know, obviously the obvious one people say trade and that. Honestly, like the, the, the brains and the it takes to, to, to survive in, in a game of poker more so today will, will will get you anywhere in life. Particularly, particularly if you can string a few sentences together and communicate with people on a on a human level. That's pretty ironic that that's the part of the sentence that got garbled out. Yeah, 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 right. Good old brother. So, you know, segueing from, you know, the startup <laughs> world, uh, you have launched Rapid Response Ukraine, right? So could you tell the listener about Rapid Response Ukraine? Um, where the idea came from and, you know, all the, all the details. 
Yes, yeah, yeah. Glad you mentioned it. Thanks, Brad. Um, one of my developers um, for Story Tracks is from Kharkiv. Actually, a, a couple of them are, are, are based in Kharkiv, um, which is on the east there of Ukraine. It's right by the Russian border. Um, I talked to him like literally the day before the Russians invaded. And I said, listen, I heard there's something stirring. Is everything all right? And he, Nazir, his name was, he goes, yeah, it's no problem. It's just, it's just mediators. They've been around for ages. There's, there's nothing going to happen. And then literally the next day he was fleeing with his pregnant wife and bombs falling all around him. And it was like, um, you know, it was, it was, it was scary. He got to the Romanian border. Um, so he couldn't leave the country. Um, he was he was he was over 18 um but i said to him are you safe now and he said yes i'm safe and then i said well how, how can how can we help and then it literally just snowballed from there he put me into a whatsapp group because basically was, you hear a lot of stories about these ukrainians that are picking up the ak-47s and um and being the warriors which is great if that's your thing but you know he's a computer guy and and, and his wife is pregnant at home and i he wants to use his skills as as best he can for the country. So, so he started connecting medical requesters, which would be like the, the heads of medical departments in in, in different cities, um, to to Western Western potential donors or suppliers. So I said, look, he'd already done it to Romania on a really small scale, raised a couple of thousand Romanian doctors, delivered them some goods. He got to Kharkiv, and I said, well, look, if there's um. You know, we, we can try and do the same through Poland. And there's a lot of Polish people in, in my hometown in Sligo. And I said, look, maybe we can try and harness the network and and and, and get stuff over to you. So so we got into the WhatsApp group and and, and the head of the health department. I, I don't know what Nazira told him I was, but uh, I've certainly no humanitarian background, as, as we've discussed. Um, so but I got sent pictures of certain types of incubators they needed and different types of medicines and. Like this was double Dutch to me, Brad. So um, then, then I think a day later, we, the head actually came on and said, "Listen, guys, we've we've run out of body bags. We don't even have enough bags to to bury our, our dead people with dignity." So it just really struck home. Obviously, this sort of visceral image, um, and um, and I knew a guy. I knew I knew a funeral director locally that could help with this and help me source them somehow. Um, so I talked to David McGowan, um, the funeral director, and um, and he donated a pallet. It was like five thousand euros, seven thousand dollars worth or so of um, of body bags, and um, and that was our mission: get the body bags to the border. That was our little mission and our little movie slogan, and it was all exciting. And um, then we put it out on on social media, and people came with um, pharmaceutical goods. And um, how did you? How did you feel through, you know, when learning about the conflict, when learning that Russia invaded Ukraine, joining the WhatsApp, hearing that they don't even have enough body bags to yeah. bury their dead? Yeah, yeah, that that was the one that really hit home. And it, it just, I don't know, it, stir, I, it stirred something in me that just didn't stop. It was like I was on autopilot. It, it, it wasn't like, like, are we doing this or... There was no decisions to be made here. Like, you know, it was just like, listen, we have to do something. I, I can do something here. Let, let's do it. I think the main thing, Brad, was it was like, I contacted a friend of mine who's ex, um, very high up in the Red Cross. And I said, initially, we were going to drive a truck over and bring as much as we could. And he explained to me that he was in Haiti before. And a lot of people come and they, they, they mean well. 
but they end up clogging up supply lines and then they become a burden on the ground there and then they have to be trained and all this and then they need they need accommodation that that might be taken from refugees so so we figured the best way we could do it was um was fly into Sheshov, which is like an hour from the border and pack out max out our Ryanair luggage with, with as many body bags as we can um buy meds in the ground and and buy pharmaceutical supplies in the ground so we um we hooked up with a Polish doctor who got us the scripts. Um, now, when I say we, this is where it gets interesting from from the poker point of view, because um, because out of like I I quit the game pretty much when cold turkey five years ago, and then like the first one I rang was like one of my buddies at home who runs the local casino, the Adelaide Casino, and um, and at Mark Watch, and I picked up the phone and straight away he's like, yeah, okay, let's book the flights, we're doing it, and then. Um, JP McCann, who runs the Irish Open Festival, just saw this on Facebook, what I was doing. He dipped into his pocket and said, listen, while you're out there, you know, do some good with this money. Um, and then I said to JP, listen, I said, JP, you know so many dealers. I'm sure you have people in Poland that could, um, we might need someone there to drive us and translate a fixer on the ground as such. And JP hooked me up with Marcin, um, who he knows like from, I think, Pokio, um, in Poland, Marcin was involved in, and um, he's former on game, and he's 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 high up. He's a CCO in a sports betting company now out of Malta. So, like Marcin met us um, off the plane, and at this stage, we uh, I'd be friendly with the editor of the Sunday Times here in Ireland, and I, I convinced her to to send a journalist with us. Um, so it was funny before we just. Just to roll back to before the flight, we got so much gear. We had to triage it into as much Ryanair luggage as they'd, they'd allow us, you know, and we pushed it a little bit, knowing that they wouldn't say no. But in this casino in town were like, was the local priest and doctors and people that have never been in the casino and probably swore they wouldn't. <laughs> but uh, they're all getting stuck in and, and packing the bags and standing on bags to get the get the goods in. And um so we all end up over there and we're met by Marcin and we, you know, we literally um, collected the drugs um, in, in like a, a hotel car park type thing. You know, that, that was just, just as needs must in more times. Um, and, and we got ourselves over the border. Um, now, while we were on our way to the border, we met um, a young Irish guy at the last petrol station before the, the Ukrainian border. And he, he, he heard my accent. He said, hey, hey, are you Irish? You know, as if as if we were meeting in a bar in Manhattan or something, you know. And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, where are you from? I said, Sligo. He goes, oh, I'm Tip. Uh, are you heading to the war? You know, as if you're coming to this other bar, you know. And um, we found out that he, he was with a couple other guys that were being brought by the embassy in, um, in the Netherlands that they'd signed up and they were being brought in to fight. A Caribbean and, a, and, a, and another lad um, I think from Palestine. And anyway, what what are they? Are they mercenaries? I'm not exactly yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, this foreign legion. Um, but you know, there was a lot of them. We saw a lot of the train. We saw Americans. We saw um, English, Welsh. We met a lot of them. Um, and obviously, look, so good intention guys. But like we, you know, we realized on the journey to the border with um, with Dean, his name was that he, he he had no military experience. He had no mobile phone. He had, he had no boots. Um. You know, so he was completely unprepared. So we, we managed to get him to turn around essentially and, and 
join us for 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 the time being on our mission um because the journalist was there and he wrote it beautifully it made the front page of the sunday times um and then this gave us the platform so i ended up on national television um in ireland here in rte sort of a prime time show for six and a half minutes talking about rapid response ukraine so this gave us the platform 50,000 off the back of the show and um and just last week or I think two weeks ago off the back of the Irish Open we're up to 110,000 wow which has been great so now we're on we're on our seventh and eighth deliveries and deliveries are getting more and more efficient we're getting more value for our buck and and it's just sort of snowballed from there um but like from from conception to the actual action of it in terms of going over and who who needed to help us going over and through like the irish open a couple of weeks ago we raised forty five thousand euros in the six days of the irish open so the poker community has been right through the heart of that from from start to finish yeah and i mean that kind of jives with my experience of the poker community as well even though we get some bad press whenever there's a need um we tend to help and whenever there's like these problems, you know, whether they be logistical um, or financial, you know, the poker community has very high level problem solvers. And that's a major benefit to, to these types yeah. of things. Yeah, 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 you're right. And I think uh, problem solvers and people that people that are willing to take direct action, um, you know, without without the necessary knowing that like what we're doing we're doing it because the red cross and unicef can't get to battlefield sites unfortunately at the moment and their hands are tied Mm -hmm. so so we deliver the medicines over the border and they go to like truck drivers rally drivers they literally take back roads like the french resistance and, and and get get it where it's needed and that's needed at the moment unfortunately like so so um so you know each 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 bit of funding we get uh, goes direct to supplying these medicines. So there's no admin, there's no wages, nothing like that. So even our flights, T-shirts we use at the Irish Open, everything is out of our own pockets. So, um, so I think you know you, you get the respect from the poker community for that as well, because like you said, they're, they're bright, smart thinkers. So people people realize, okay, you know, I, I don't want my money going to some some um, you know heavy administrative fees and things like that. Like, and they respect the sort of direct action that we are taking. Yeah, they want to solve problems and not deal with bureaucratic red tape. Um, yeah, exactly. You've survived pre-flop boot camp. You've shot the fish in a barrel. Now, prepare yourself for the feeding frenzy. A comprehensive strategy for gutting every fish in your player pool. Data-driven hero bluffs call-downs, and perfect value bets that are maximally designed to hurt some feelings. Feeding Frenzy. Available now at ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Feeding Frenzy. How, uh, how is your, your buddy doing in the Ukraine? How are, you know, the, the people that uh, were, were kind of the catalyst to solving this issue. How, how are they doing? Yeah. How are they, how are they holding up? 
Yeah, he's he's okay. He's he's still where he is um, on the Romanian border. Um, him and subsequently the other volunteers we've working for us. We we've a guy Vadim who's in a, a warehouse in Lvov. We have um, the drivers like by by working alongside us. Um, we we write official letters saying they're working with our humanitarian organization. They deliver the goods. We get letters from the the heads of the health departments thanking us for receiving these goods. Um, this chain actually protects these guys from being sent in front of Russian tanks, if you get me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's sort of the best possible thing they can be doing right now. Not only are they helping their country, but they're they're protecting themselves from 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 being put on the, the front line, you know. And what's the feeling um, being there on the border for the folks who are on the other side of the border, what what, what was that experience like? Um, sorry, can you can you can you just um, come again? Well, on, um, when you're on the border, de- de- yeah. delivering the supplies, what's the experience like? You know, being there um, on the border to Ukraine, giving these supplies to people who are then going into the country. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I got you. Yeah, what was that I like? got you. Yeah, so we, we crossed over at um, at nighttime. It's pretty late by the time we got there. Um, myself, Marcin, um, Mark, and uh, and this young lad Dean. Now, getting into the Ukraine from from the Polish side to the Ukraine side was was fairly easy. We we showed the letters of requests we had, and there wasn't a problem there. Obviously, our Polish driver helped, but I described the border there. It was it was almost like a like a like a closed down disbanded petrol forecourt and just just sort of desolate apart from the soldiers knocking around but it was fairly smooth sailing going through there there wasn't lines of traffic or anything there was one point where we were told that our driver wanted the ukrainians to come out to us um because he didn't want to go in to the ukraine as such um so we were in this sort of border channel and he's blinking his lights and, and the Ukrainian guys are maybe a hundred meters away and they're blinking their lights. They couldn't come out, you see, because they were, they, they, they because of the conscription. So, so they had to stay firmly on this Ukrainian side. What's the they, con- conscription? So if they're, if you're over 18 and under 65, um, then, you know, you, you, you've got to stay in the country um, to be available for for call up to the army. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. I got it. So, so yeah. So, so they're blinking their lights. We're blinking our lights. And um, I think the main thing at the time, because it was very early days, it was only the second week of the war, um, and it was just, you know, obviously we've seen millions flee in the country. So, the main concern for the driver was that it would it would take us days to get back out if we went in because you, you can't just reverse through a, a border crossing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just pull a Yui or anything. Um, so anyway, we all decided, look, we're not leaving the medicines here. We've come this far. We're, we're going over to the guys. Um, even though all of us had promised our, our partners at home, no, no, we won't be going into the Ukraine. Don't worry about that, love. So, uh, yeah, we all we all ended up, um, we said, right, we're not leaving the meds. And and we went over and we met Taurus and Alex. They were just, just guys, just our own age. And... Um, and yeah, they were they were extremely grateful. We 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 transferred over the goods. We got pictures taken. 
Um, we hugged it out then. Funny enough, actually, I remember Alex saying to me, look, he said, um, thanks a million for this. And, and can you please, um, can you please look after our, our women and children? Um, when, when they get, when they're out of the country, you know, cause they're, their children, grandmothers, wives had, 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 had left for, for Western Europe. And I think it's really important for these guys to know that they weren't just safe, but that, that the kids were happy, you know, that are distracted as they could be. So that was a real, you know, thinking point for all of us like that, you know, it's, it's no good just putting them into a camp somewhere. Let's, let's kind of, get them swimming lessons and, you know, gymnastics and get them into schools and all that sort of nice stuff that the kids want to be doing. Yeah. Quite um, a, quite a heartbreaking scene. Yeah. 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 But the guys, you know, they were, they were, they were real, like they were just delighted to be getting the meds and they were proud. They were so, so proud. Um, you know, is this Slava Ukraine? Is this, this cry like glory to Ukraine? And, and, and they, they were just so like, it definitely wasn't a fear in them. And kind of the first time I saw something like I used to watch all those, I love all those old war movies and band of brother stuff. And I'd always go, how could people actually do that? How could a human being actually just, you know, run across the trench or jump out of the airplanes or whatever, but you can actually see it there when you get into that sort of collective situation, you know, you, you, you could see how people get, get caught up in this, you know, and get, get, get very passionate and motivated by it. Um, we turned around anyway, we, we, we managed to find, um, we managed to find a gate because we, we looked down at the road after we passed over the goods, we looked out on the sort of, if we'd gone out to the public road, it was literally cars as far as you could see trying to get over the border to Poland. And then we just saw a gate and, um, and, and one of the guys got out and opened the gate Um which is really brave considering all the soldiers around. We just opened the gate. We managed to kind of somehow pull a Yui and we're heading back to Poland, but we're like 500 meters from the Polish border. Um, and we sort of snuck into the queue and um, it took us, it was minus four degrees and it was snowing Ooh. and it took, it took us six hours to move that 500 meters. Wow. And it was literally behind us. There was cars as far as you could see, could be 5k, could have been 10k. I don't know, but, you know, and, and we're looking at the women and children just, just standing outside. The ones that had been left off by buses had to just stand outside to go over by foot. And wow. We're there, yeah. comfortable four. four by four, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose the scenes there of, of those women and children, and maybe it was just because they got that far, um, but like not one kid was crying or winching. Not one. It was, it was stoic would be the word I'd use. Just extremely stoic. Just very silent, very orderly. Yeah. Resilient. Yeah. I mean, it, it speaks a lot to, uh, get the, the Ukrainians resolve and their resistance to the invasion, you know, um, because initially I know that Russia thought it would be somewhat of a, an easy conquest, um, which has yeah. not turned out to be the case. And now I'm not exactly sure how long it's been, you know, the, the war has been going. It's been months now though. Yeah. Um, and appears as if, yeah, appears as if, you know, you, Ukraine is holding ground and yeah, they're, it, it's hard. Um, I guess it's a lesson for author, uh, authoritative dictators. Like it's hard to go into somebody's homeland and take their home from them. 
I mean, if you expect that they're not going to fight, of course they're going to fight. They're going to resist. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm not exactly sure how to, how to segue out of that experience. Yeah, yeah. It's so, uh, yeah, it's such a, yeah, just heartbreaking and terrible, terrible event. Um, very grateful for folks like yourself who had an opportunity um, and took it to help and be of assistance to the Ukrainian people. That's, that's really incredible. And personally, I, I'm grateful. Um, moving back into, into poker, you know, I have some lightning round questions and we'll hit those lightning round questions uh, and then segue to um, call to action where the folks listening to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast can assist in, um, in everything that you're doing for Ukraine. So from here, um, if you could gift a poker book to all, all, all the players in the world, what book would you recommend? And I said poker book, but I misspoke. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to necessarily be about poker. It could be, you know, stoicism, life, whatever it is that, that you think would benefit the, the poker community at large. Yeah, there's one that actually had a profound effect on me uh, earlier on this year, just, just before the whole um, rapid response kicked off. I read a book, it's fairly well known, called The Power of Now. Um, once you come across that, it's it's like um, it's it's about just being in the present. I know it was, it was big in America a few years ago. I think Oprah did a thing on it, and it's um, I suppose it's Buddhism wrapped up for 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 Western Western eyes and ears. But um, this is really interesting. I thought the power of now, and it um, and and I remember actually it was uh, Cal Anderson. Remember that poker player, Cal Anderson? I don't. I don't. Oh, Cal, Cal was a beast. He he was top of the pocket five ratings. For years, um, Cal, I, I don't know, but an absolute gentleman. Um, and it was he came over to the Irish Open one year, and he had um, I noticed on his watch, it's it, he didn't have any hands on his watch or numbers. It just said now. I, I was intrigued by it, and he said, "Look, it's this is all about being in the present moment, and and not a uh, past just brings you regrets and uh, and sadness, and in, and in thinking about the future, future can create anxiety and fear." So. It's all about being like really present. And then when, when you are present, whether it's in conversations with people or whether it's your work, you can find this, this flow state, um, sort of in the zone state. Um, so, so yeah, that, that really hit home. And then in, in, in retrospect, I could see that really working well at a, at a poker table. Yeah. Eckhart Tolle, Power of Now, That's um, the has... Shockingly, been suggested or recommended by multiple people on this podcast. So, yeah, not just uh, not just you and and Cal. I think there's a lot of benefit to staying present, living in the present moment. Um, as we said before, you know, controlling the controllables. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The one of the major lessons that you know I've taken away from poker and in my own life. Um, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would you change? Difficult question because you've been out of it for a few years. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I, yeah, I'll say this with the caveat that 
than I was out of it a few years. So so things could have changed. Um, I think certainly the um, certainly the live scene has passed me online as well. But I one word ego ego yeah I think I, there was a lot of ego and a lot of you know who had badges and who didn't and 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 who was friendly with the people who, who who everyone wanted to be friendly with and who wasn't and all that sort of silly stuff you know I got some um, bad bad news from you for you Fergal yeah, yeah. it hasn't changed <laughs> right. okay it's it's still the same <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of clicks. There was always a lot of clicks when I was around the game, and you know I wasn't a fan of that. Yeah. Um, if you could erect a billboard, every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the card room. What's your billboard say? This is supposed to be quick fire, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, I can't. I can't um, sorry, I can't. I'm just going to blank on that one. Right. All right, we'll we'll circle back. We'll do a you yeah. in, in a yeah. moment. Yeah, um, When you when you think about joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to your mind? Yeah, I remember that 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 first um, that first Vegas. There was a um, I was I was in a because because I didn't have big much of a role, but I was in a three hundred uh, satellite to the main event. So um, you know you had to knock out a lot of people to get there anyway. This massive satellite, and there was, um, there was, I don't know, there was 30 something left. I don't know how many seats there was anyway, but I just, uh, in the other corner of the room, I just heard this ole, 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 which, and it was just absolutely had to be Irish, but I didn't know any of the Irish poker community at the time, you know, and, uh, and then I just managed to, to have enough chips that I could literally run down and see what was happening, and it was just this scene which turned out to be marty smith winning the the plo bracelet and irish flags and just just everyone going crazy and uh yeah i was like and then, and then i'm down in the other corner of the room like winning there winning winning 10k and just just bring it back to my hotel bedroom and spraying it all over the bed like in 10k cash <laughs> like you know what i mean this is class like this is just yeah this is good <laughs> it's a good memory it's a good yeah. memory um now the opposite question, because one of the catalysts for me making the podcast was knowing that, you know, poker is a game with ups and downs and you don't just wake up one day, um, and find yourself at a final table, right? It takes, it's a culmination. It's a long process, uh, to eventually have success in this world, um, sustainable success. Uh, when you, when you think about pain in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Yeah, this is a tough one for me. Like I know what it is. I just I'm just not sure do I want to say it. Um yeah. Um so yeah, I, I told you um that I, I started playing cards because my father was was unwell and my mother was unwell and I was I was looking after him. And um and and yeah, so I, I'd won a ticket to an EPT in um I think it was London or somewhere like might have been a 5k ticket but it was you know it was a bigger package it was like seven and a half package altogether or whatever and um maybe 10 it was 5k euros so maybe it was a 10k dollar package i don't know anyway i want an ept package and you know i, I didn't really want to go because i wasn't sure and i was the only one kind of minding them and 
I just wasn't sure how things were, you know. So I, I got a cancer stars. I thought it was so tough. I had to write letters and all and show doctor's notes. And I got off that one. And then there was another one in Prague and and same thing. And then even at that, I had to pull strings and talk to people I knew high up in the company, really high up, and finally got off. And I said, right, but you have to play the next one or you're just losing your money. And then um, and then the next one was Doval. And at that stage, like the the doctors were saying he was he was he was fine you know and he was he was stable and nothing, nothing too soon or whatever so um so i uh, and then i thought as well like he would say to me if he was in his full bank don't be stupid don't leave like 10 grand or whatever it is don't don't leave that money just disappear like you know just just go out and do what you have to do so, so i went out and um and i was i was staying with my irish friends and i got true i got true day one um uh, just a normal kind of stack or whatever. And um, I was doing well. I came third in the terrible the night before for 10, sort of um, the night before my day two. And then, um, and then I was just in the middle of, um, oh, I'd lost my phone. Fo- my phone got stolen in Paris. My phone was robbed on the subway. Um, so that, so that, 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 that does make, that is an important part of the story because literally somewhere a couple hours into day two, um, this guy in, in Doval came down with a, he was wearing a dicky bow, like he came down from the hotel and there's been dicky bow on him and, and a, a full proper suit. And he just handed me a note saying, call home, you know? And then like that, that was literally that guy was telling me that my dad passed. I just knew straight away. You know? I didn't have my phone and who's going to go to that pottery, you know? So I knew what it was. And, and, um, and I walked away from the table and, um, and I just, you know, called home and I was like, you know, burst into tears in the middle of like the EPT dub was, it was one of the biggest in Europe because um, it was huge in France, you know, media everywhere. And it's right by the beach. So I just went out onto the beach and, and, uh, you know, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I went back to my hotel room. I, I couldn't handle that. And the strangest thing happened. I did, I just went back to the table. I just, it was weird. Um, I just sort of wanted to go back to something that, that I knew or some, you know, it's hard to explain, but I've been really chatty before that all day. And then I just disappeared for like two hours and lost 60K maybe out of a 200K stack or something like that. And I just put on my shades and put on my headphones and, and a guy there asked me if I was okay. I said, no, and like, I, you know, they probably see the tears and that. Um, so yeah, that was just like, and actually at the table, there was this guy, Jack Burrell, who was like this, he's a well-known French singer. Um, so the, the cameras were literally on our table all day. He, he, he'd be like, um, I don't know, like a Tony Bennett of France or something like this type of crooner guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so the cameras are there all day. So it was like, you know, I was like privately mourning in this most public setting. Um, and then this, I didn't want to play. I didn't want to think about hands or play cards. I just wanted to be there. Um, so, you know, I just, if I did play a hand, like if I'd like, I was literally just a top 10 hand or something. But if I played it, I just, at some stage, I just put all the chips in. I didn't care. I didn't care if I got knocked out. I'd be happy to get knocked out. I was trying to figure out when my flight was, how quick I could get back home, all that sort of stuff. So I really didn't care. So I ended up with this massive stack. And, uh, and, um, and then that was the conversation then. And it was like, uh, you know, just the next, after it finished, because I just had to get home as soon as possible the next day. And it was, it was the conversation about, um, 
about right can i just walk away now and uh, is my stack enough to make the money and this sort of stuff because i really didn't want to i had a chat with a good friend of mine in stars and you know she was like look i'll keep the media off your table and um and we we came up with the plan that the best idea was like i just i just sit down for an hour and just literally just sit down and pass 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 and just defend the odd blind or whatever just just you know just tread water and then just make the money and give it a charity or whatever like so that, that was the plan and but it was funny because she said the the um the french guy ended up on my table the same day that same jack burrell guy and <laughs> now we're on the bubble and he is an even bigger stack and um he could not understand why the media were at his table not one camera went near his table because this girl was the overall the media and stars and she just put a blackout on our table and he kept like Anytime he'd lose or win a pot, he'd be like, ooh, la, 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 with the camera. <laughs> <laughs> the camera <came>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and that was it. I said I wouldn't play one hand, but I just couldn't help it against this guy. And I I, I, I just slow played, like, just flat at jacks or whatever. And I don't know. I, I, I won a really big pot off him anyway. <laughs> he was like, ooh, la, 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 la. <laughs> and, then, and then as soon as the money was made, I, I just walked away. But, like, that, that, was, that was the real painful moment because, like, I, you know, I... I, you know, I'll always regret not not being there when he passed. You know, and uh, and and being where I was and and being so far away, and yeah, so that, that was my most painful moment in in poker. Yeah, that's quite quite the story, and uh, it's been been a while. My, my condolences, and thanks, thanks for yeah, you know, it's um, making decisions with imperfect information, and yeah. That's a brutal one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah sure. And um, on that note, we're going to, I think we're going to wrap up. <laughs> so there yeah. you go. I've, I forced you to try and segue out of all these. Really <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. there, there's, there's, there's no, no smooth segue from here. Um, <laughs> that's it, folks. Have a good day. Boom. <laughs> In it. Um, uh, so. So will we do a call to action on rapid response? Yeah, let, let's talk about that. You know, the, the project that's near and dear to your heart, where, where can folks go? Yeah, so look, the easiest way is 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 to donate at rapidresponseukraine.com. Because what we have now is we've, we've a, a supply line where we buy off junior doctors in Romania who are able to buy, not only is Romania like half the price of Western Europe, but they're able to buy it at wholesale. And we have medical requests coming in from five or six different war-torn cities right down the south and east. They're updating these um, medical requests weekly into the top 10 priority drugs. And then we can purchase these at wholesale prices and bring them across the border and get them there really, really quickly um, as needed. So we can do this where the larger organizations like UNICEF and Red Cross can't. And every penny goes towards this cause, not towards wages or admin. So that's one is simple donation, rapidresponseukraine.com. The second one, as mentioned, during the Irish Open, we got we made 45,000. That's good enough for us. Our nut run is sort of like between 15 and 20K of, of a week on these medical purchases. So, and that's enough, not like to, so, so we've sort of de-risked the load. We're not putting a huge amount on, on one load. Um, but it's it's enough to make it worth the guy's while to to travel to these areas with with the goods. So so what we got at the Irish Open is good enough for three weeks, and then we're also getting a lot of supplies donated. So the, the loads are actually a lot more valuable 
um, you know, we got supplies donated from from health um, from the health services in Ireland. So look, if people have connections to medical supplies, medical supply companies, great, great. It's not just cash we need, but those type of connections would be magic. Also, from what we made at the Irish Open, just really, and, and our conversation here, Brad, really opened, opened our eyes up to the potential in the poker community. Um, I know the World Series is coming up. I have a great fondness for the series, as mentioned earlier. I would love to get um, a pitch, a stand in, I think it's happening in Bailey's in Paris this year, but at the World Series. So someone has connections with Harris there that could that could somehow help us get getting our pitch there. Um, that would be absolutely phenomenal because I'm sure if we made 45 in a week, we could do a hell of a lot more at the at, at the World Series of Poker. So so that would be great if someone could reach out to me on that um, at uh, rapidresponseukraine at gmail.com. Awesome, man. Yeah, and, and hopefully I, I'm fairly confident that you'll get put in touch with the right person in, in this space. Uh, I think the story, everything's just too compelling. It makes sense. Um, there's this massive need that hopefully Bally's and the WSOP will be able to assist. Um, yeah. Thanks Brad. And just like, you know, we're, we're not going to be there shaking buckets in people's faces. It's not going to be, it's not going to be hard pressure. Look, I've been a player before. I know what that's like trying to dodge, dodge guys going down to, to play poker. But, you know, if we just, once we have a stand, it's just people can approach us and we can explain to them what we're doing. We give out a lucky chip and, you know, if people want to come back and, and help us out, that's great. But it, it, it's more sort of um, networking and a much softer sell. So, you know, we'd, we'd be delighted to have a, have a pitch in, in Vegas. Awesome, man. Uh, well, Hopefully that happens. Keep me up to date, Fergal. And it's been great having you on the program. Been great hearing your story, learning more about you, your cause, and where you come from. And hopefully, you know, we can run it back in a year or so and um, touch base again on how things how things have gone. Brilliant, Brad. Thanks very much, and and, and best of luck with the Jason Poker greatness. Thanks, man. Have a good day. Take care. See you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.